Mac Power Users, episode 327, Families in Technology. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? I'm great, David. How are you? Excellent. I understand you are uh, dealing with a bit of a storm back there in Florida. Uh, yeah, I guess I should say we are we are pre-recording this episode because uh, you are getting ready to head out to WWDC. So we're we're having to record this one a couple of weeks in advance. And we are in the middle of a tropical storm here. Um, thankfully, it's it's not been too bad. But I am hearing a little bit of static on the on the call, and I think that kind of could be a result of of some of the bad weather that we're having around here. So uh, if you're hearing that, I, I apologize. We'll try the best that we can to to clean it up and post, but it, it is just uh, pouring and the wind is whipping outside. So I, I think a lot of that is is maybe some of what this is picking up. I apologize. Not the norm. Now, you sent me your dark sky screenshot. Yeah, that's kind of freaky, isn't it? Yeah, and I can honestly say I've never seen a dark sky look like that in California. <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Yeah. I didn't even know they had the color yellow. Apparently the color yellow is a thing there. Yeah. Yeah. And yellow isn't even the worst color. We've got some pink and we got some red. And Oh, really? Yeah. I see. The, I, so the red is the worst. This is terrible. Uh, well, I hope you don't get blown away out I, there. I hope not. I've I've got all my all my uh, patio furniture tied down and brought in the little pieces and um, lots of preparation. But I'm excited because my lawn is going to be nice and green by the time this is all over. Good. Good. Well, this is an interesting topic. We get a, a lot of email from listeners all the time talking about dealing with technology and their family. So we've been kind of trailing this one for a while and we saw we we saw enough questions about it that, you know, maybe this is something we need to, to look at again. Yeah, we talked about it originally about 100 episodes ago in episode 233, and I thought it was kind of time that we revisit it, and I think we're going to revisit it from a little bit different angle. Um, in, in fact, I, uh, you know, we always have these outlines that we prepare, and sometimes we don't get to a lot of the stuff. So I, I tried to pick some of the stuff that we didn't get to cover in, in that outline. And one of the reasons that I wanted to revisit Families and Technology is it seems like I've been dealing with this a, a lot recently, and I think part of that is is maybe the summertime is upon us. And so we're out there spending more time with friends and family and, and we'll be providing tech support. And, you know, we're we're in the season where uh, hardware is going to be getting refreshed soon and, and back to school season is coming and, and uh, people may be starting to get new machines or be interested in new things. Yeah, it's funny. Just just yesterday, we had a, a couple family members come over and visit, and the the elder members of the family came with a list. You know, they had a. Of course, they didn't put it digital; they had it written down. But they brought laptops and iPads, and I spent uh, a good chunk of my day uh, fixing tech for family. And uh, I suspect for a lot of people listening to this show, you're the same person that gets those lists. So, so why don't we start by just talking about what it means being the tech guru of your own family? Well, and, and candidly, you know, when I, I put the call out on Twitter and said, we're, we're going to talk again about this topic, what are some of your tips? Uh, many of the tweets, and, and I'm sure they were meant in jest, uh, the, the response and the best advice that people had said, run away, run far, far away, change your phone number, disconnect your phone lines, <laughs> um, just don't even get started. So that, yeah, should, that should give you some general idea that, that there's some mixed emotions about this topic. Well, that's what I've I've gone to with PCs. I, I used to know enough about PCs where if somebody brought over whatever computer they bring over, I could fix it for them. Um, and I would 
kind of hack my way through it. And, and uh, now with PCs, I'm just like, I don't know Windows anymore. It's it's completely different. Now, actually, now I'm that way with Android stuff. When they bring Android stuff over, I can kind of hack my way through fixing their Wi-Fi or whatever, but not nearly as well as I can with an iOS device. Right. And, you know, so being the tech guru of your family kind of comes with some ups and downs. I mean, on one hand, you have great power. Um, You can kind of influence some of their technology choices. You you can set people off on the the right track. But have you noticed that you're also to blame when things go wrong, even if you had nothing to do with it? When Apple uh, refused to give that information to the FBI for the San Bernardino shooter, there were several people in my life that wanted to blame me for that. Well, even not even that. My my mom tells me regularly how much she hates the new photos and much preferred iPhoto. And can't I do something about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I <laughs> no, I really can't. Sorry. Well, it is um, in my family, and I'm sure yours as well, as probably most of the people listening to the show, uh, to the extent you have influence over technology decisions, uh, a lot of people around you have migrated to the Apple platforms. And that's certainly true in my life. Um, And with that comes a certain degree of ownership because they feel like, hey, I did this because you told me I spent all this money on this thing. Now you have to help me keep it working. And, and I do think that's part of it. Maybe that's a decision you make early with, because there are certain family members. I cert, I don't press into doing anything. I don't recommend anything because I know by their nature, they're never going to be happy with whatever they get. So in some ways I would almost prefer that they used Android and windows. So I don't have to be part of that, you know, that nonsense. And maybe that's a decision you need to make early in this, um, in this process. Well, I wonder, have you considered setting up any kind of boundaries with with your family? Um, You know, one of one of the things like, for example, in in my family, um, I provide all of the tech support for my mom and and she has gotten really good about doing her own thing. She's very curious. She reads books. She's learned. I'm I'm just she met her when she went to Macworld a couple of years ago. She actually went to the sessions. Um, I was amazed with what she learned and what she has continued to pick up and continued to to keep learning. And I'm very proud of her. Um, But she also picked up a lot of things about, I I don't want to touch that. And um, so what, what she has learned is the kind of the deal that we strike is that I will continue to keep her things updated and she will continue to follow my advice. And neither my dad or my brother are allowed to touch her stuff. And she kind of enforces that policy and it works great. All of her hardware works great. You know, she does what she's comfortable with. She hands the rest over to me. Um, and, and she doesn't let anyone else touch her stuff. Now, my my dad, on the other hand, uh, I, I don't touch his stuff because um, he doesn't necessarily always want to take my advice. He he doesn't want to upgrade when it's time to upgrade. And um, he doesn't necessarily want to put the right software on his machine or, or you know, nece- you know, I'm like, well, if, if you don't want to take my advice, then I'm I'm not really sure that that I can help you. Do you? And that can be difficult, too. Yeah, it can. I mean, I guess it, now we're getting to the interpersonal communications portion of the show. Yeah, I do think I like to set conditions in relation to hardware. Like, you know, and I've talked about this in the show before, but like if someone wants me to help them with a Mac, I, I insist that they let me help them set up a backup system. Because just like you were saying earlier, when something goes wrong, they're going to come to you when they lose all their photos. I don't want to be dealing with that problem. So I am I'm very insistent on setting up backups. I think another uh, 
uh, question is how far do you go with respect to the remote service and like the, the kinds of tools that you would need to get in to really be of assistance to them. And it seems to me that there's a couple layers. So you've got the, the first layer where I'm going to help you set it up and get you going and help, you know, get your email turned on and everything. And then you can take the computer and, you know, go with God. And then, there's that other level where you say, well, I'm going to actually be the person that you call that I can remote in and fix something when it breaks. And it is a decision to be made as you uh, decide to help people out. And I think a lot of it depends on, number one, what what is your relationship with them? How, how close are you? And then also geographically, what is your relationship with them? You know, are they in the same home? Are they just around the corner? Are they across town? Or they across the country, because that can set some boundaries, um, both in terms of interpersonal relationship and boundaries, and then also physical and geographic boundaries. Yeah. Uh, one of the nice things I've noticed is, is iOS has become more of a thing. And uh, the people in my life have started migrating towards iOS. I mean, for Mac Power users, there's really a, a, an interesting debate as to how much you can do on an iOS device versus a Mac. But for people who go on Facebook, check their email, surf the web and shop Amazon, they, they are perfectly well suited with an iPad. And as those types of people in my lives have migrated to iPad, um, my requirement to be their tech guru has dramatically been reduced. They just don't need my help that much anymore. Well, and that comes with its own set of challenges. But in addition, it's, it also is a little bit liberating because if you can switch them only to iOS, there's certainly a lot less to manage with with iOS. There's a lot less that can go wrong. It's a much more sandboxed environment. Um, there's there's a lot um, less that you have to worry about with iOS. It's a lot easier to deal with. But the flip side is also true in that because of it's so locked down, you can't really provide support for iOS unless you're um, really good at walking somebody through something and they're really good at following directions or you're sitting right there with them and have hands on the device because there's no remote access into iOS. And, and so far we've been talking about, you know, helping somebody set up their computer, get the software running. But what happens when a family member or loved one slash friend says, Hey, I need my hard drive went bad. Can you replace it for me? Oh, see, that is a, that is a very, very difficult question for me. And, um, I almost had to, I've had to cross this a couple of times and I, I need to knock on wood. I hope you heard that. Um, I, I have not had it go bad yet, but it will go bad at some point because especially with hard hardware upgrades or hardware repairs, at some point, something is going to go bad. And you, you have to have that conversation up front of, you know, there is a chance that something could go bad. There is a chance that you could lose data. There is a chance that it could be even worse and that not only could you lose data, you, you could lose this machine. Um, let's have an understanding up front of what's going to happen in the event that, that that does happen. And I think that's a different conversation you have, whether it's a family member or a friend. And, and I'll tell you, I'm a lot more riskier with my own tech than I would be with someone else's. I used to do it all the time. I used to change out hard drives, uh, do memory upgrades. I mean, it was like a thing. I mean, people used to come over the house and bring their computer and I'd lay it out. You know, I had the kitchen table. I had like a, a tech set up and a static wristband and all the other things you need. And I would always make those changes for them while they would watch a movie at the house or something. And we'd eat lunch together. 
Not anymore because Apple devices now are so much more difficult to make those upgrades. I was just talking to a friend who did the upgrade in his MacBook Air. He put a bigger hard drive in and by hard drive, what I mean is a a little circuit board with a bunch of SSDs on it. And he was telling me it was kind of harrowing to get in and, and replace it in comparison to the old days where it was like four screws and you know, you pull it out and swap a cable and you're done. Uh, It's much more difficult now. So uh, I I think you should not agree to do any type of hardware stuff for family unless it's really clear that they understand, number one, things can just go completely sideways. And number two, that's not your problem if that happens. And even if it does, there'll still be issues. Yeah. Or or even if you're kind of, you know, in the last resort, I mean, if it's broken and it can't get any more broken, I mean, maybe that's a situation where you might agree to say, well, all right, we, we can't get any worse than this. We can't lose anything more. So let's you know go ahead and try it. Um, my grandmother, for example, had my old hand-me-down iPhone 5, which is now a device that is three and a half years old, almost, almost four years old. And it was a great device. I lovingly took care of it. When she got it, it was almost brand new. In fact, you know, you know me, I'm a quite the Mac geek. I, I kept the original box. I even kept the original cellophane that the iPhone was wrapped in. You do that, right? I'm not the only person who does that. Cellophane goes straight in the trash. Ugh. I don't keep it. Okay. Well, I kept it. And I mean, I had it, we boxed it up and we gave it to her and it was all perfect. I mean, she hadn't, I mean, we told her that it wasn't new, but she otherwise would have had no idea that it wasn't new when she got it a couple of years ago when I got my iPhone six. And it's, it's at the point now where she's having some trouble with the battery and it's, it's beyond time. Yeah. And, I I did some, you know, we we kind of looked at the options. Clearly, it's out of warranty. So, you know, option one is a battery placement from Apple. That's about $99 plus shipping and all. You know, we'd be in and out for about $125 because we don't have an Apple store nearby. You know, option number two is we could go to, you know, one of these, you know, local kind of tech repair places. And, you know, they do this type of stuff all the time. They're not Apple authorized, but you know, it is what it is. And you probably save a little money, money, it'd probably be about 60 or 80 bucks. Um, or option number three is I could have gone to get the kit for my fix it and done it myself. And I tell you, I watched some YouTube videos and I watched the I fix it video. It didn't look that hard. I mean, it looked okay. I think if it was my iPhone, I would have done it. Um, and that we probably would have gotten out of for about $35 or so, you know, the kit yeah. and everything. And I just, if it was my phone, I would have done it. No questions asked, but it just, it just made me very, very nervous. Have you, have you gotten into the iPhone or replaced anything in there yet? Um, I, I have not. My brother-in-law is an engineer and he loves taking apart iPhones and iPods. He buys broken ones and puts them, re-puts them, you know, back together, loves doing it. Not my thing. One of the, one of the things I don't like is a lot of the new Apple devices have a lot of glue inside of them. And when you start opening them up, then you've got these adhesives you have to deal with. And um, well, I'm not a big fan of it, but I guess the bottom line is like, like Katie said, if, if it's somebody that would be cool knowing that, you know, they're, you're doing this as a favor to them. And if things break, then they don't, you know, it doesn't work. Then it's really their problem and not yours. If it's someone who's like that, I, I probably wouldn't be adverse to it. The stuff really, uh, some of these small fixes like replacing a battery are not that difficult, but, just be very careful before you go down the road. I guess we've probably said enough about it, but yeah. uh, when you're choosing what you're going to do, uh, just kind of summarizing this point, if you're going to be a tech guru, decide what the, the terms and limitations are of that and communicate with the person, you know, about future expectations and about what, 
advice they follow and what they do and don't do and what your role is. Right. And spoiler alert, her home button ended up malfunctioning as well on that device. Um, so we ended up getting her a, a used device. And, and I have more to talk about about that because this was, again, one of the things that prompted uh, this whole show. So I'll talk about that in a, in a different segment and what we ultimately ended up doing. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about choosing the right device and helping your family and friends choose the right device. Uh, but before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for this episode. And we'll be right back. I want to take a minute to thank our next sponsor, FreshBooks. I love FreshBooks because they are on a mission to help small business owners save time and avoid the stress that comes with running their business. And that all starts with pain-free invoicing, something that, believe me, is typically anything but pain-free. FreshBooks has created a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices simple. It takes just 30 seconds to create and send an invoice, and you can even add your company logo for that extra special touch. FreshBooks will give your clients a ton of ways to pay you because the easier it is, the more likely you are to get pay. They allow you to receive credit card payments and they integrate with services like PayPal. And this can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. In fact, FreshBooks says that their customers get paid on average five days faster. You can even see whether or not your client has looked at an invoice. So there's no more excuses for lost or unpaid invoices. You can even set up automatic late payment reminders too. And that's just for invoicing. FreshBooks has so many other features to help keep you organized. You can easily keep track of your expenses so you don't have to worry about this inbox full of receipts or the shoebox that you keep in the closet that you ship off to your accountant once a year. And if you're in the United States, you can automatically import your bank transactions for easy reconciliation. They've recently revamped their mobile application and it even lets you take photos of your receipts and FreshBooks is going to organize them for you for later use. It can even create expense reports for you, making claiming expenses at tax time a breeze. They have great reports so you can easily see who owes you what and when. FreshBooks works with a lot of different third parties and they have a ton of different integrations. And they have time tracking software to help you send better invoices, which is really important for freelancers or anyone who bills by their time because your time is your money. And of course, they have amazing support, which is really at the core of FreshBooks. They believe in it. There's no phone tree. You call the number, someone's going to pick up. And to get started with FreshBooks is extremely simple. You don't have to be a numbers person. They're offering a 30-day free trial for listeners of MacPower users. No credit card required. It's risk-free. So to claim this 30 days of unrestricted use, go to freshbooks.com, F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S.com slash M-P-U, and please enter Mac Power Users in the How You Heard About Us section so FreshBooks knows that you came from this show. That part is really important. Thanks again to FreshBooks for sponsoring Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. Okay, so choosing the right device. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, a lot of times people come to us and want to know, what should I buy? Um, and I, you know, you, we are, and by we, I mean you and I and the Mac Power Users collective family who are listening to this. You know, with lots of we're we're early adopters. We're the people who go out and buy Amazon Echoes and um, Internet of Things homes and Wi-Fi connected light bulbs. And so people tend to come to us and say, you know, what what do I need? What kind of computer should I buy? What kind of phone should I buy? Um, I, I'm sure you've been asked that question probably weekly, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think the important thing to keep in mind is that what's the right tech decision for us is not necessarily the right tech decision um, for the person who's asking that advice of us. 
as an example, somebody wanted to get a laptop recently. And so I talked to her about what her needs are. And I, I have many friends and family I've advised on which Apple laptop to buy. And in the last year, I've not advised a single one of them to buy the MacBook. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, it's just something it's something that a nerd is going to love and cherish. But for somebody who doesn't think on those terms, you know, these these devices, the the iPad Pro, the the large iPad Pro is another one where it, I would think long and hard before I advise anyone to get it. Uh, yeah, I think right now my default recommendation for most people is probably a 13 inch MacBook Air or maybe a 13 inch MacBook Pro kind of depends on on what their needs are. Um, or maybe at this point, even an iPad Air. Uh, and not necessarily the iPad Pro, depending on what they want to do with it. But I think those are the things that you you have to get into and ask them for. You know, yeah, the, to, the, the, one of the big questions really is when they want to get a laptop. I think laptop is one of the most common questions people ask me about. I think most people will just go buy an iPad without, you know, consulting. But when it's time to get into laptop, I get a lot of questions. And I'm with you. To me, the, the big decision is usually, is it the Air or the Pro? And then there, it's usually the 13-inch screen. So you need to ask, you know, what are you going to be using it for and what types of work are you going to be doing? Another thing that I ask people often is if you have a laptop, how many times have you removed it from its desk? You know, how many people do we know that buy laptops and use them exclusively at one place? And for those people, I really urge them to consider an iMac. Right. Because everybody wants a laptop, but do they necessarily, is that necessarily the right fit? Because you can typically get a lot more bang for your buck by buying a desktop. And um, have a better screen. And I mean, there's just, there's a lot of advantages to it. Right. Um, I, I think one of the mistakes that most people make when they're considering a purchase is, uh, you know, we tend to advise people because we want the latest and greatest to buy too high, you know, because, but I think a lot of people don't realize how important hard drive space is. Um, and I think that's the the mistake that I see most often is people buying low end machines with either spinning drives still or these really slow spinning drives. And Apple still sells a few of them, unfortunately, uh, that low end iMac, even that low end uh, retina iMac uh, still comes with a very slow spinning hard drive standard. And I mean, why would you want to if you're going to go buy that machine, why would you want to cripple it with that spinning hard drive? Um, and even the entry level MacBook Air still has that 128 hard drive. And so I think it's really important to ask people, how much music do you have? Are you going to be, uh, how many photos do you have? Just those types of things, you know, don't ask them in terms of storage. Well, how much storage do you need? Because they don't have any idea. Um, but when you talk in terms of, do you have music? Do you have photos? Do you like to take pictures? Do you have a digital camera? Uh, those are the types of things that will guide you. And, and I think even guiding them in terms of opting for 256 or 512 um, are, are huge differences. Yeah. To me, the, the upgrades are first hard drive and second, possibly uh, memory, but never processor. The, the difference well, is for most people. Yeah. Well, yeah, almost. Well, when I, I guess I'm just thinking when I'm talking to somebody who's not a geek, um, one of the things I like to ask people is how long have you had your existing computer? And sometimes you'll talk to people who who like to get a new computer every two or three years. And then sometimes you'll talk to people who want to run the old one until it absolutely can't run anymore. And they've got six or seven years out of it. And and if it's a six or seven year kind of person, it 
I, I explained to them, I say, you know, what, what we want to do is find you a computer that um, can last you equally long because you'd like to keep them a long time. So one of the things you need to do is, is be really seriously considering upgrading the amount of storage because in six or seven years, at the rate you take pictures with the way cameras get better every year, uh, you're going to need the extra storage. And that's a really easy sell to make for people because they're thinking about, you know, going into the future. And uh, that that's a conversation I have with almost every person that I help buy a laptop or a, a Mac of any sort. I think another important question to talk to them about is also the software that they're running. How are you going to use this computer? What types of things are you going to do? And tell me about the software that you're running. Um, I am always shocked and I really shouldn't be at this point to learn how many people are still running Snow Leopard and how many people are still running Snow Leopard because they're specifically running software that requires Rosetta compatibility. Um, they're running Adobe Creative Suite 2 or they're running a, a an old scanner that, um, you know, a slide scanner or something, something like that. Um, and when you, when you go out and get them a new Mac, uh, that stuff is not going to work anymore. And so See, I think that's part of your Mac user group experience because I almost, I have last time, I can't remember the last time I saw someone running Snow Leopard. Well, I think you're right because that's definitely where I see it is in my Mac user group. And I, and I would say probably at this point, still 25 to 30%. Wow. That's it's, a lot. It's huge. Yeah. And it, it just, it, it shocks me. And with that, you're getting old browsers and you're getting all, all kinds of issues that come with that. And, um, and so you have to ask these, or they're using the, the big ones that I tend to see um, are old versions of Adobe, typically um, pre, you know, old versions of Adobe Creative Suite um, or, or old versions of Quicken that, that won't run on the current operating system. It always comes down to Quicken, doesn't it? Yeah, it typically does. Um, the, um, I, uh, Another question for me at that point is when I hear the software they're using and what they're doing with it, and I don't do this with people except ones that I'm willing to directly support. I did this with my sister, for instance, is when I realized what she used, I said, you don't really even need a new computer. You don't need another Mac in your life. What you probably just need to do is get a little bit better at iOS and just use your iPad. And with one of my sisters, I did that a couple of years ago, and she's been fine just as an iPad only, you know, computing device. And that's a that's definitely something to consider as you're listening. But once again, that's because you're switching platforms. Don't give someone that advice unless you're willing to kind of walk them through it. Um, I think the other thing you need to talk about, and this may be more so suited to iOS, but how do they plan on connecting to the Internet? And what type of internet speed do they have? Um, my grandparents, for example, uh, live out in a much more rural area, even though they don't live that far necessarily. But they can't get cable internet. They are stuck with a pretty slow DSL connection. And not only are they on a slow DSL connection, but I am convinced that something is wrong with the wiring in their house because it is just wicked slow. Uh, and that creates some issues in terms of, you know, things that they can do. It it makes off-site backup a challenge. Um, it, you know, it makes running software updates challenging because it is, is just painfully slow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And then there's the old question about how big you want your screen. And keep in mind that especially with retina screens now, bigger isn't necessarily better. 
sometimes you can get better screen quality and, and better pixel density from smaller screens. Um, you know, my um, mother, for example, has a 17-inch MacBook Pro. That's obviously a much older machine. Um, and, and we're looking at upgrading her to um, a new machine. And we're looking at either a 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro or possibly, um, you know, possibly even a little 12-inch MacBook, the Retina one, because she really, I mean, it, she would be fine with, with no ports. Um, and, and she loves the screen, but is really having a difficult time with it's so much smaller. But but isn't yeah. it so much clearer? Well, yeah, but it's so much smaller. So, yeah, and that's such a personal decision. Uh, you know, I guess one thing I would ask is to question your assumptions. If you've always had a 15 inch laptop, do you still need a 15 inch laptop? Or maybe you know, if you've always had a small one, do you want to think about a big one? I mean, that that's one thing where you want the person you're helping to take ownership for. You know, how big do they want their screen? And I think it's helpful to to take them somewhere where they can really hands on spend some time um, with them. Uh, you know, if you have an Apple Store, that's great. What what may even be better because the Apple stores can be so crowded is you know taking them to another you know Apple authorized retailer where they can spend some time you know maybe in a little more quiet environment seeing the machines side by side and and really spending some hands on time with them. Okay, so uh, just. Let's sum up a little bit. Um, if you are advising someone on a laptop, where do you start and you know what's your usual ideas? I've already told you that I'm 13-inch Pro or 13-inch Air, but where do you stand on that? Yeah, I tend to stand there that, as well. 13-inch Pro or 13-inch Air is, is probably my default. And the, the differentiator there is, is really going to be um, price considerations um, is going to be the main one. And what are they using it for? But I would say probably at this point, 13-inch Air is my default, although I, I think the 13-inch Air is on its way out, but I think it may take another year or two. Yeah, I, I start with 13-inch Air, but if I can get them to an Apple Store, I'd like them to look at the two different screens. I mean, even setting aside the performance improvements, the Retina screen is significantly better than the 13-inch Air screen. I and for some people, that's enough reason to, to upgrade right there. And and honestly, the, the Pro is not that much heavier or bigger than the Air at this point. Although, I guess we should add to the to the mix that as we record this show, there's tons of rumors about uh, interesting new MacBook Pros coming out at some time in the not-too-distant future. Um, all right, so that's how you deal with Macs. What about iPhones? I, I tell people... If they're going to get a new one, they're going to be buying one from Apple to get their most recent phone. Because if you're going to keep it a while, I think you're better, best to get the most recent phone. I mean, the service that you're paying to have the phone is always quite a bit more than the phone itself anyway. So I, I uh, encourage people to get the, the latest and greatest when they're buying a new phone. Uh, I, I think it depends. Um, and I think you need to look at a couple of things. I think you need to look at what is your your total cost of ownership and and how you're going to use it? I, obviously, you need to. We've got two, three now, three three size options with with the iPhone that we're looking at. Do you do you want to go SE, uh, which is basically the iPhone 6s innards inside a, an iPhone 5 case? Do you do you want to go um, S or 6s or do you want to go 6s plus? And you know you can go 4.7 inch or or um, how big is that monstrous phone you have? I blocked it out. 12 inches. 12 inches. No, it's not. 
the, I think the it's phone. five and a half. Five and a half. Yeah. I know. I was just, I was making a joke. Right. Sorry. Um, but for example, we just bought my grandmother. Remember I told you that we, when, when we got into looking at her phone, I, I found out that there were some other things wrong with it. And it turned out that her home button didn't work as well either. And once I got the case and everything off of it, I, I found that that was because her, her screen had started to warp. Uh, we ended up picking up a, um, a 5S for her off of Gazelle. We picked it up used and uh, got it for a couple hundred bucks. And the reason that we did that is because um, she was on one of these family plans and it was, you know, $15 a month versus $50 a month if we if we got her, you know, a phone that was basically off contract versus buying her a quote unquote free new phone. Yeah. And, and that makes total sense. But I guess if you can take that out of the equation, I mean, that was a significant savings for you. But if if all things being equal, you're just setting up a new plan or buying a new phone. I think generally you should get the latest because the camera is going to be better. And most people hold on to these things at least two years. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of getting an older phone to start a contract. Yeah. But, um, I think if you're going to start a contract on one and you know that you're going to be keeping it two years, then, then it makes a lot of sense. And I hesitate to even say start a contract because that's really not the way it works anymore. But in all, for all intents and purposes, it's like starting a contract. So uh, look, I, I'm not arguing with you. I think that there are cases to be made for getting an older phone. But if someone comes to me and says, hey, I want to get a new iPhone, which one should I get? Uh, it, for me, it usually starts with, OK, there's three different screen sizes. Which one you, know, you want? Big, little or or really big? You know, and the um, and then I just point them at whatever the most recent one is. Uh, once again, taking them to the store is a good idea. Uh, you had said in terms of iPads that you'd like to recommend starting with the iPad Air 2. I think that's a great place to start unless uh, there's a good reason to bring them up to the Pro. It's kind of like the difference between the 13-inch MacBook Air and the 13-inch Pro. Like the pencil support, I use it tons, and there may be other people that do that. Um, if you want to do split screen, you know, if, if someone wants to use Pro-like features on an iPad, uh, then I would nudge them up to the to the smaller pro and you'd have to give me a really good reason for me to recommend that you buy the big one. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, let's take a quick break and talk about hand-me-down hardware. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by automatic. Make your car smart with automatic and get $20 off at automatic.com slash Mac power. We've been hearing lots about a potential Apple car in the future, but that's years away and who knows how much it's going to cost. Why wait when you can make the car in your driveway right now smart? The Automatic is a small adapter that turns any car into a connected car. You just plug the Automatic into the same port that your mechanic uses to diagnose engine problems, and it opens a world of possibilities. There's an iPhone app that connects right to it. Using that, Automatic lets you keep track of your fuel mileage and your vehicle health. It allows you to expense business trips with a tap, and it links your car to connected devices that power your life. You know how your car may give you that check engine light and you have really no idea what it means? Maybe it's a $5 problem or a $5,000 problem? Well, the Automatic tells you before you go to the shop. If you've got a Nest thermostat, the Automatic hooks into that as well. It knows when you're arriving home and can turn on the air for you. The automatic even keeps track of where you parked your car. This is really, though, the tip of the iceberg. By giving the automatic app your car's data, there's a ton of things you can do. 
You can get real-time performance data, and the automatic uses intelligent coaching to maximize your fuel economy and reduce wear and tear on your vehicle. Tracking your mileage for work can be a real pain in the neck. With the automatic, it's super easy. When you get to your destination, you get a tap on your Apple Watch or on your iPhone that says, was this a business trip? And you just tap yes, and then it saves the data for you. It even works with if this, then that. So if you want, you can export data to a Google spreadsheet and really integrate your car with your digital life. The best part is that there's no subscription fee for this. You just buy the automatic and you're set. The automatic usually costs $99.95, but because you're a Mac Power user listener, you're going to get a discount. If you use the offer code MACPOWER, you'll save 20% on your order. So go to automatic.com slash MACPOWER to get more information and purchase your automatic. I love hearing all the nerdy things our listeners are doing with their automatics in their vehicles. Please let us know if you find a cool way to use the automatic with your car. Thanks again, Automatic, for supporting the Mac Power users. So, you know, one of the things that I think well-meaning people do sometimes is they say, well, you know, you're my friend, you're my family. I tell you what, I've got this old Mac. Let, let me just give it to you um, and and I'll, I'll help you set it up and, and we'll get it going for you. And that can work really well sometimes, but it even sometimes the best of intentions can sometimes cause problems and sometimes create more work and I sometimes have seen these these hand-me-down Macs uh, create more issues sometimes than they're worth. Yeah, I like the idea of it. I'm not a big fan of just sticking a laptop on a shelf and letting it do nothing. I would rather see it in circulation and working until the point that it can't then get it recycled responsibly. Uh, so uh, so tell me, what are the problems with it? Because I, I like the idea of handing down well, I like the idea, but I think what I see more problems, I, I see two main problems um, with this happening sometimes. Uh, the first is when the machine is just really too old to be to be use, useful anymore, when it won't run a modern operating system, um, when you can't keep it reasonably updated. And, you know, sometimes the machines just need to be be put out to pasture. Now, the good news is, and we we did a whole episode, I think, on... Um, you know, using old Macs. And I know we had um, folks from iFixit on to talk about that. The good news is, is for Macs, that's a long time. I mean, I've got in my own family Macs from like 2007 that are 10 years old now that are that are still working reliably. So I think that's less of an issue. I think the, the issues that I tend to see more often are, um, and, and I'll give you an example from my own family. My dad handed down, and again, his 2007, which is still a great machine, um, iMac to uh, one of his family members, and but decided that he was just going to delete his data, um, but leave all of the software on there so that they could they could use the software so that they could use his programs. Yeah, and I'll tell <laughs> you, could go wrong. <laughs> that has caused, and I warned him about it. I said, "This is going to cause nothing but trouble. Please let me help you do this correctly. Um, let me help you erase it. Let me help you reinstall it. We'll set them up with their own user accounts." But he didn't want to do that. No, no, no. I want them to be able to use my my office suite. I want them to be able to use, you know, this uh, PDF program. I'm trying not to name names here, but you can figure them out what I'm talking about. You know, I want them to be able to use these things. Um, and as you can imagine, that that didn't necessarily work out as they had hoped. Well, I think when your dad started computing, that was a common thing. You know, it, in fact, as recently as probably five, 10 years ago, people would sell used computers as loaded with pirated software. I don't think that happens as much anymore because now you have to go online to register. 
but that was like a thing. So to a certain, you know, experience for him, that was just the way you did it. But anymore, you need to, if you're going to hand down a computer, just wipe it, you know, just wipe it down to ground zero. So when they turn it on, they see the, the Mac icon and or I'm sorry, the Apple icon and go through the sign up process. Uh, you are absolutely correct. If you're going to hand something down, clean it entirely. I'm a big fan of, you know, installing the latest OS from scratch. Or if you happen to receive some of this hand-me-down hardware, which which I have more than once um, for family members, I I try to put ourselves in a position where, you know, I know I know they meant well, but let's let's go ahead and just get this set up for you. Um, and I want to make sure that we have the tools necessary. With Macs, that's pretty easy now because you can get most of the stuff off the Mac App Store. Um, you know, at least the the operating system now. But to set us up in a position where we can erase the computer, install the latest OS from scratch. But I want to make sure that we can do it with the tools that we have. I want to make sure that I don't have to have any CDs. Again, in the Mac era, that's now, that's kind of a, a foreign concept of having to have a CD or a DVD to be able to install software. Um, and I want to make sure that we're not going to need anything else from the person who was kind enough to hand down this hardware, that, that we are completely self-sufficient going forward. It's even easier on iOS. So, so you can wipe the data. Clearly, uh, the other thing to be careful when you're handing down hardware is that you're not setting the person up for failure. If they say, oh, yeah, I really want to make movies and I'm really into it. I'm going to take a class in you know, film production. And you say, great, here is my 11 year old white iMac. Go <laughs> yeah. crazy. You know, you know, make sure the hardware, if you can give it away, is up to the task that they're going to use it for. Right. Um, and particularly with iOS, you, you want to make sure that that device has been successfully deactivated, uh, that Find My iPhone has been turned off, and that that device has been disassociated from the person who's given it to you, that it's no longer associated with their cellular account, that it's no longer associated with their iPhone account, their iCloud account, um, and that it can be set up as a new iPhone or iPad, whatever the case may be. Okay. And then once you give it to them as a clean computer or iOS device, then you can sit down and help them get their own account set up and teach them how to how to use it in the basics. Right. Uh, a great idea when you're setting up a hand-me-down computer or even just if you are um, helping them buy a new computer to k- take some load off yourself. Uh, I think Don McAllister has a series of videos for new Mac users. I think he sells it as a package if memory serves over at screencastonline.com. You know, hook them up with that or even just buy them a couple months of screencasts online. Yeah, that's a great tip. So um, one of the things that that I kind of thought we should talk about is the initial setup. And um, at least when I was setting up the the outline, I I thought a, a nice gimmick might be, you know, if what are 10 things that we should do to set up every Mac and 10 things that we should do when we're setting up every iOS device. Now, there may be more there. There may be less, but. Um, I thought this was just kind of a fun way to to tackle this topic. Yeah, and it's great because we will have lots of criticism about the things we missed in right. the live show. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're we're very, I've I've heard that lists are very much in. You know. Yeah, that's so. a thing. Okay, so we've got a list. So let's talk about the Mac first. What are the ten things you should set up on every new Mac, especially when you're doing it for a family member who's not going to be listening to the Mac Power users? Right, and and by set up, I mean that this could be settings that you configure or software that you install. Okay. Um, and so the first one that I put in is uh, disable automatic login. And so I do not believe that this is by default anymore, but it used to be 
that when you turned on a Mac or when you set up a new Mac, that you would set up a an account and you would set up a password. But if you only had one user account on that particular computer, that when you turned that Mac off and then turned it back on again, that Mac would automatically log in to whatever the main user account was. No password, no nothing. That used to be the default. I don't believe that it is anymore. But you want to make sure that automatic login is turned off. I had a friend who put parental controls on his his iMac, wanted to make sure that his son didn't abuse his time on the computer. But then they found out all he was doing was just turning the computer off and then rebooting it. And it would log in automatically to his wife's account. And he would just go crazy on the computer for hours and hours. I think that's great. All the parental control stuff didn't work out, went out the window because they had automatic login turned off. So go ahead and set that up. Um, and or they had automatic login turned on. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And and so in addition to protecting from children being silly, it's also a real good security feature. Someone ever takes your computer, they're not going to be able to get into your data. Um, the number two that I had on my list was enable file vault. And we, we've talked a lot about File Vault. Uh, the current iteration of File Vault, I think, is excellent. It encrypts and decrypts your Mac as you log in. And so that hard drive is basically a brick when, when File Vault is enabled. And it's completely open um, once you've logged in. And, and the beauty of that, both on a desktop or a laptop, is it just gives you a great level of security. So that even if someone steals the machine, they're not going to be able to get a hold of your data. And and I had someone ask me about, well, you know, is even if I don't have File Vault set up, as long as I have a password set up on my computer, I'm fine, right? And I, I really don't think that that's the case because even if you have a password set up on your computer, but you don't have File Vault enabled, you know, just off the top of my head, I can think of about three or four ways that I can access your data. Um, whether it's, you know, resetting the password through the terminal, whether it's resetting the password with an admin login, whether it's, you know, plugging in a, another computer to it and, and accessing your data through target disk mode. Um, there are ways that people can get at your data if they wanted to. So I, I'm a big fan of File Vault, and I've been running it for years. And I tell you, I really don't notice any kind of speed hit from it. No, it's really great. And uh, it's, you know, it, it, the, the only problem with File Vault is that the prior iteration was terrible. But I guess that's not as big of a deal anymore. People don't remember that. But uh, there is a bit of baggage with the name. And so people who don't know that it got better are afraid to use it. But I think for most people, they already know File Vault's a great thing. Right. We talked about it on a recent show, and we got some feedback on it. And the only negative feedback I recall reading was someone saying, well, I'm using it remotely. You know, I've got it on my Mac that I access remotely and if for some reason I am not home and I need to restart, File Vault creates an issue. And uh, that was the only, I believe, negative feedback we had about. It. Nobody complained about it being slow. Yeah, there is actually a terminal command that you can issue if you have to restart on newer Macs that uh, you can put the password in and it will kind of restart and, and put in the password so that you can restart even with a File Vault secured Mac. But that's, of course, if, if your reboot was planned. And it's a newer Mac. Yeah. So uh, that that is the only downside that I can think of at this point to File Vault. I mean, the other downside being is that you forget your password, but don't do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, uh, File Vault's a, a, a good one. Uh, we've had a lot of people ask us about File Vault and how that impacts backup solutions. And the bottom line is it doesn't. 
when when your Mac is encrypted, you can use it just as you normally would. You can back it up just as you you normally would. Uh, I use FileVault, and it has no impact on my backups. Speaking of backups, I think that's big item number three on the list is if you're going to set up a new Mac for somebody, get a backup system in place. Uh, we just did a whole show on backup, so we're not going to dwell on it too much. But one of the easiest things you can do is say, my fee for setting up your new computer is that you show up with an extra hard drive and just set up, you know, the time machine right there. I know that's not the best, and I know some people would prefer other things, but assuming you're setting this up for somebody who doesn't listen to Mac power users, it's pretty easy just to have an attached drive and have time machine do its thing. Right. And we talked about backup at length in a recent episode, so I'm I'm not going to uh, cover all that again here. We'll put a link in the show notes to the backup episode, but every Mac should have some kind of backup solution set up on it, preferably a couple of different redundant backup solutions. But it, if you can only do one thing, do the one thing and get the one thing set up. Yes. Um, what about remote access? This is where you got to make a decision. If you're, if you're setting it up for somebody, are you going to put remote access in? Um, I say, yeah, you probably should. You, you should, well, or you should have a plan for configuring remote access. Um, do you want to set it up to be always on and always accessible? Maybe, maybe not. But there, there are a lot of different solutions for remote access. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But even something as, as simple as teaching them how to use the screen sharing feature in iMessage um, uh, is an option. But I, I would say it's something that you should think about. And it's something that, that you should plan for is how are you going to get back in to support them if you're not going to be there to physically, not going to be physically there to support them. I used to have to do a lot more remote access support for family members than I've than I've done recently. It seems like either the Macs got better or maybe they've all gone to iOS so much that remote access isn't as big of a deal as it used to be. But I agree. If you're setting up a Mac, why not? Um, the other uh, number five, I think we're up to number five now, is I would say uh, I'm a big fan of turning on automatic software update. I realize that this may be a little bit of a taboo recommendation, there are occasions where software update can go awry that tend to have happened more recently in iOS now than it has on the Mac OS. But, but I think in the overall scheme of things, keeping the, having the software set to automatically update, especially with a more novice computer user, typically does more good than harm. And if nothing else, it's going to keep you from having to run, you know, 50 software updates when you go over there every six months. Yeah. And, and you will have to run 50 because they won't have updated any of it. Um, if they have cloud services for number six, set the, set the cloud service up, you know, if they're Dropbox or iCloud or whatever, get it running on their computer. And if they don't have a cloud service, get one set up. Um, I guess I would probably default with Dropbox at this point because it's multi-platform over iCloud. Well, and uh, I would say maybe even consider both. Because yeah. every Mac user is going to have at least five gigabytes of iCloud storage, and you can get a Dropbox account that's going to give you two gigabytes of storage. I'd say consider doing both. Um, I've I've set up both my family members with, or, or I'm sorry, not both, uh, multiple family members with Dropbox accounts, and then I've created a Dropbox share for us. So I know that if I need to send them files, what I can do is I can precede them to them. Um, yeah, and and I've done that a lot, like in the cases of software updates. Um, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll download them at my house on my computer and then I'll throw them in our shared Dropbox folder. Or um, if I know I'm going to be sharing files with them, I'll throw them in the shared Dropbox folder. And then when I go over to their house, 
Um, yeah, and sometimes I'll even do that a day or two in advance so that I know that they're there and that they're downloaded. Um, and then when I go over, I just go pull them out of their Dropbox. One of the things I do that's interesting uh, with new users or novice users is I make a decision as to how much I bring them in the loop on Dropbox or iCloud. With some people, I give them a kind of an instruction about it and I explain it to them. I wave my hands around, explain what the cloud is. And so they have an understanding of it with other people. I set it up and I just put their documents folder or whatever it is. I know they're going to be working in, in the Dropbox or iCloud. So it's always backed up to the cloud and I don't tell them much more. Um, that I don't think I have specific advice for that, except maybe consider that question when you're setting it up for somebody, you know, do they need the whole spiel or are they somebody who doesn't even want to know how all this works and you're just going to set it up and leave it there? Uh, I think number seven is have some kind of password manager and at least have the conversation about passwords. Uh, I, I just had this conversation with my soon to be sister-in-law. Uh, we, we spent some time in the car uh, and I was so proud. My mom actually brought it up um, because we were we were talking about passwords and um, the the topic came up and she said, I don't use a, a password manager. I just remember all of my passwords. Should should I be doing something like that? And, you know, I, I had to I had to like almost physically restrain myself. We were thankfully in the car and I was in the front seat and she was in the back seat so and, she's still alive. Yes. You didn't and, have to pull out the bat lift. No. And, and I was just like, inhale, exhale. Okay. And I just basically launched into our, our typical, um, well, let me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I need to be careful because this could come as too overbearing. Um, My but, sister-in-law <laughs> is a crazy nerd. That's what she was thinking the whole time. <laughs> she is. And I said, well, you know. If you have to remember all the passwords, that can create a problem because um, it's hard to remember them. And if you are remembering them, then maybe you have the same password that you use across multiple sites. And I just, you know, kind of told her the spiel and she said, oh, yeah, my Facebook account got hacked a couple of months ago. And that was a real pain. I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but there are a number of different ones. Um, you, obviously, we like 1Password. They're a sponsor of the show. That's the one that David and I personally use. If you're not going to do anything else, if you can't get them to do anything else, set them up with iCloud Keychain. You know, that's yeah. that's kind of better than nothing. Um, LastPass is another option. But I think I think starting to have the conversation and getting it set up for them is huge. I think, you know, like when I just said in the last one about cloud services is I, I make a, a kind of a judgment call as to how much I explain to them what cloud services are and what they do with it. Uh, password to me is not a judgment call. I think whether it's a very novice user or very experienced user, when I'm helping someone set up a, a new device, I, I have that conversation with them and I really encourage people to, to get some sort of solution. I love my wife, you know, is not much of a, a tech geek. I mean, she gets some by, I guess, by osmosis, you know, being around me all the time, but it, it's always fascinating to me to see what technologies she's passionate about and password management for her is a big deal because in her circle of friends, there is always somebody who has been hacked and she has never been hacked. And it's because she picked up this, you know, this one password technology. So have that conversation with them. Use it as a chance to, to help them solve a problem that's only going to get worse, by the way, as we go into the future. Uh, number eight is you want to give them something to work with. You know, you want to have some type of software because a Mac out of the box these days doesn't have a word processor on it and um, you need to go to the app store and download, you know, iWork or if they're a windows 
uh, I'm sorry, if they're a Microsoft Office user, you know, get them set up with that. But but don't leave them without the ability to write a letter on their computer. Um, number nine is I still think it's important to have an alternate web browser on your machine. I use Safari. Safari is my default web browser. But at this point, I would say also maybe install Chrome. I, I like Chrome because I can use it for now, although this is changing, to be able to watch Flash videos because Chrome has the built-in Flash, although I hear that's going away. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I use Chrome as well. Yeah. Um, but okay. there, you still come across sites that don't work with one browser or another, and it's good to have an alternate on there. Yeah. Um, then number 10, antivirus and anti-malware. Uh, I put a question mark behind this one. Yeah. And I think you have to use your judgment. I, I will tell you, we get this question all the time. I personally do not run antivirus software. Um, and I do not run anything that has, I guess, what you would call active protection, where it's going through and it's scanning my uh, my computer and scanning my hard drive for for threats. And I personally don't run that because I find that it does more harm than good. It slows down my computer and it creates more issues. Uh, I do have uh, malware bytes, which now has a Mac version on my computer, and I do scan occasionally. Thankfully, it's never found anything. For a while, I was running Clamex AV, um, although I know that has gone paid because it, you could run an on-demand scan without having their scanners running constantly. I, I think it's something you should consider, and you could should especially consider, you know, given the person that you're you're working with. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break for sponsors, and then come back and talk about the ten things we need to do on an iOS device. So I want to take a brief moment to talk about our sponsor, Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. So with Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work. You can manage your task list from your desktop during a meeting. You can share status updates from your phone as you're leaving a client site. You can access the latest version of a file from your home in your pajamas, if that's what you want, or the sleep night shirt that David's going to talk about. Uh, Nobody's going to know. And everything is mobile, so why shouldn't your work be too? If you've ever looked at your corporate intranet and thought, my goodness, whoever designed this must truly hate me, well, those days are over. Igloo allows you to make the intranet look and feel like a place you actually want to be. It's amazingly configurable, and you can completely rebrand it to give it the look and feel of your team. Thanks to things like group spaces, role-based access permissions, an easy drag-and-drop widget editor, you can reorganize the whole platform so it fits exactly how your teams work. With our mobile lives, people are increasingly bringing outside applications into the companies, and sensitive documents are getting scattered across multiple platforms. That can cause a lot of problems if you're not careful, but not if you use Igloo. Igloo allows you to integrate services like Box, Google Drive, Dropbox into one big, easy-to-secure platform. So if you've heard the buzzwords like 256 encryption, single sign-on, active directory integrations... Don't worry about that because Igloo just takes care of it and you'll know how safe and secure Igloo is. With Igloo, you can share files with your coworkers. You can all collaborate them on together. You can keep track of who has read what with read receipts. And this can be a super powerful tool for making sure that your critical information has been seen, making sure is keeping everyone in the loop, and you know what is happening with your team. It's time to break away from the internet that you hate. So go ahead and sign up for Igloo right now. You can try it for free for any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want. So if you've got a small group, you may never have to pay for Igloo. But we're hoping that you'll incorporate it with your bigger team and they can find the advantages too. 
So you can sign up over at igloosoftware.com slash MacPowerUsers. That's igloosoftware.com slash MacPowerUsers. So thanks so much to Igloo for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Okay, so your uh, your mom shows up with a new iPad or new iPhone. What are the 10 things you're going to do for her? Well, a lot of them are, are very similar, and a lot of them now iOS has gotten better and makes you do out of the box. But sometimes your friends and family disable some of the things. So I, I say, number one, check it for a passcode. Check it to make sure that they've got a passcode enabled and that it's got a reasonable time frame on it. Yeah. And for more reference, go back to our locking down your iOS device. We just covered that um, a couple of months ago. So we went on that at great length. Uh, calendar and contacts to me is one of the biggies when I'm setting up a device for somebody else is getting their calendars and contacts in a lot of ways is the difference between success and failure of transition to a new device for them. Yeah. In fact, my I was just at a family event this weekend. You know, this is kind of timely for why we did the show. Um, and my cousin, he's 12 and has an iPhone, uh, had just, you know, dropped his phone and they ended up, you know, having to get him another one. And he was asking me for help because his, his contacts didn't come over. And I unfortunately had to, and of course he had sold his old broken phone back, so he didn't have it anymore. And unfortunately I had to tell him, well, buddy, it looks like your contacts may have been saved to your actual phone and not synced to a cloud service. And at this point they're gone. You know, can you get your old phone back at least temporarily? And, you know, it, it was gone. So I think if you can set up the contacts and the calendars to sync to a cloud service, they're going to have great liberty to be able to get a new phone, switch carriers, do whatever they want, and and have those contacts and calendars come with them. And tell them you're doing it. You know, tell them this stuff is saved in the cloud. So if you have to replace the phone, it, it's real easy. Um, sometimes people stumble their way into the iCloud settings. Usually they get a dialogue box from Apple saying that you need to buy more storage or something like that. And then they start fiddling with what gets stored in the iCloud and with good intentions, but lack of information, they turn a lot of things off. Uh, make sure you tell them that that stuff is important while you're in there. I'd say, uh, in addition to number two contacts and calendars, number three is enable the iCloud backup. Why not? That's that's a definite one. I, I tend to say at this point, make the iCloud backup your default and then kind of occasionally on your when you visit them, then maybe do a, an encrypted backup to their computer. I wish I could just have um, the ability to randomly insert a, a little diatribe about Apple and charging for backup because it makes me crazy every time we come across the subject. I wish I could just say just reference, you know, maybe just release it as a separate episode. but. For the amount of money they get for the devices, why on earth should someone have to pay extra money just to back up their phone? I don't get it. I mean, they charge an extra hundred bucks just to like when you when you do the memory, you know, from 16 to 32 or whatever the next tier is these days. Um, why can't they just give you backup consistent with the amount of storage you buy? I mean, Preach. it's a huge... Yeah, it's a huge problem because people don't want to spend an extra $3 a month. It's it's really hard for people to have these recurring charges. Yet, if they drop their phone or whatever, um, they're going to lose a bunch of pictures and other data because they the backup got too big for iCloud to take care of it and they never bothered to increase the storage. In well, fact, have that, have that conversation with the person you're helping set it up. And if it's a cost thing, I, I would say... I agree with you. I think the the iCloud free storage tier amount should be raised. 
But if it truly is a cost thing and Apple truly can't do it, increase the price of the phone. I know I'm, I'm speaking heresy here or add it into the Apple care cost. Well, when I talked to somebody once about this, when I was up in a, in near a fruit company and someone said, well, the problem is you got these people that get all these devices. They get an iPhone and they get an iPad. And I'm like, yeah. And Apple makes a pile of money with each one that they buy. So <laughs> that's not convincing me that you can't just come up with a system to back up, you know, all these devices. It, it seems to me like it, all the people that go in the Apple store and have all this grief uh, because they lose and photos is what you lose because photos take up a lot of space. And that's when you run out of space. Generally, it's not because you have too many apps. It's because you have too many pictures. Um, I, I just feel that there should be a better solution for this. Uh, but the, the way the world is now, uh, for a lot of people, you set these devices up, they're going to eventually get that message that says you're out of space. And I think when I set it up for them, it's very important to tell them, hey, you may get this message someday. And I know it sucks that you may have to spend a few extra bucks a month, but it is totally worth it. Um, the other thing I think you should do, I think we're on number uh, four now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I enable find my iPhone. I believe this is enabled now and by default, but only if they set up an iCloud account. And I guess that should really be like a... a a 1A is set up an iCloud account. But if they haven't, go ahead and set up Find My iPhone so that if they do lose their phone or if something happens, it's it's already enabled. Yes. Yes. Um, enough said on that one. Uh, number five, enable iMessage and FaceTime. Yeah, it surprises me that this still sometimes isn't turned on. And I'm not sure what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if they've got a Mac, you can do that thing where they can have call relay, you know, where it shows up on your Mac. Do you right. ever use that? I use this all the time. Um, but it, you have to enable it both for iMessage and for FaceTime. I use it more for iMessage than I do for uh, FaceTime, honestly. But this is where your, your text messages, in addition to your iMessages, show up on your Mac. And Because I still do have some green circle friends. I've been trying to get rid of them. Yeah. But they are still green circle friends. Green circle being SMS people, blue circle being iMessage people. Yeah. Um, and I, I do occasionally, um, if my phone is in the other room and I happen to be sitting in front of my Mac, I have picked up a call on my Mac before. Well, I work from my home office several days a week. And so I've got an iMac sitting here with a very nice microphone, you know, and I pick up calls all the time and people don't seem to notice and it's much better than holding a phone up to my ear. And uh, it, that's a really nice feature. It's been in the operating system, I believe, since the release of Yosemite. And uh, it's something worth turning on. Uh, we talked about automatic updates on the Mac. For number six on iOS, automatic updates, I think, are even more important because the apps on the iPhone and the iPad get updated so much more often. And a lot of times things start to break if you don't keep up with the most current version. Yeah. And you can set automatic um, app updates. You can also set it to automatically download music. You, and I would include with automatic updates, I would include automatically download music that I buy from the store. Automatically, you can turn on the photo sync. Basically, keep all of my stuff in sync with what I with what I buy. Yeah. Uh, another thing you want to do for somebody that's not uh, super adept at this stuff is make sure you've got all their Wi-Fi networks uh, credentials in there. So number seven is connected to their Wi-Fi. Yeah, this one's very important. I can't begin to tell you how many people I've gone over to their house and I've looked at their iPhone and I know they have Wi-Fi because a couple of years earlier I've set up Wi-Fi at their house. 
but they've got this iPhone and their iPhone is sitting there at their house on 3G or LTE. And I'm like, why, why is your phone not connected to Wi-Fi? Oh, I, I don't know. It just came that way. Yeah. We've got, we've got a little like framed picture with our Wi-Fi stuff on it. So when you come to my house and we have a party or something, we just hang it on the wall. So <laughs> I guess I should probably really take the trouble to set up a guest network now that I say that. Yeah, you really, you really should. I don't know. I mean, all of your devices will set up a guest network and we'll handle yeah, I that. know. I know. Yeah. I'm having Wi-Fi issues right now. Mm. So I um, the, I actually just, um, I, I got one of those label makers and I put it in my guest room on the nightstand. <laughs> I uh I ma- I made a label with the 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 guest Wi-Fi information and uh, just finally I was tired of people I made a little card and I was tired of people losing it so I just uh, put it on a label and stuck the label to the nightstand. It's like it's like bed and breakfast. It is. Katie, yeah. at Kitty Floyd's house. Yeah. The um speaking of Kitty Floyd's house is the roof still on? Uh yep, roof is roof is still on. We're in a little bit of a lull right now. Good. So Good. We'll see. The um now, the flip side of setting up Wi-Fi is also setting some limits on cellular data. You know, um, a lot of people don't realize it's there, but you can limit data usage for certain applications. And that's an excellent time to set some of that up when you're doing a new phone for a friend. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've I've gone in and done um, for people is, you know, some of the big culprits can be photos. Um, it, you know, it can be very nice to have your photos automatically download on on cellular, but is it that can be a big data hog. And so I'll go in and, you know, selectively with their permission and tell, you know, explain to them why we're doing this, turn, turn certain, turn the cellular radio off for certain or limit the cellular usage for certain things. Um, Podcasts can be a big download. Music can be a big download on, on cellular. Um, So be careful with that. Um, Another thing that I've looked at, I think we're at number nine now. uh, and, And I'm thinking of this particularly because I was just setting up my grandmother's new iPhone is look at the accessibility options, uh, particularly for older users. Um, things like uh, increasing the font sizes, things like increasing the contrast. Um, maybe consider if you go into accessibility, there's a lot of fun stuff in there for even users um, who don't necessarily have needs, but just because you can do cool things. You can turn on an LED flash for an alert. So if you know you want a little extra notification, uh, you can turn on button shapes that make it a little easier to tell um, what is a button and whether something is switched on or off. And so I I went in and and tweaked a lot of those settings that really makes the the screen a little bit clearer and a little easier. It may not be quite as as pretty as Johnny intended it to be, um, but it makes the screen a little bit clearer and a little easier to use for especially older users. Yeah, and another thing to do, the 10th item on our list would be, you know, clean up the apps for them. Let, let them see how you move apps around, you know, move them into a screen or a folder, things that they aren't going to use. And uh, just help them get the phone looking the way they want so they can, so it can be more accessible to them. I mean, one of the interesting things I was thinking as we were going through this list for iOS is when I set up a Mac for a person, usually I do it without them necessarily looking over my shoulder. You know, they bring the Mac over, I kind of hook it up for them. And then when it's all done, I show them how it works with iOS. I'm very uh, hands on with other people. If I'm going to set up a new phone with a friend who hasn't had an iPhone before, I'll go through this list and do these things, but I'll do it with them sitting right there watching me. 
And so they can kind of get an idea of how to access those things. Because iOS, I just think, is a lot easier for people to get into in terms of, of doing some of the settings and some of these things. And if they watch you do it the first time, there's a good chance that they'll be able to do it on their own in the future. All right. Any any other things that we haven't covered? I know we've already covered our 10, but did you think we missed any? That's a pretty good list. It's a pretty good list. I, you know. No, I, I think I think we're good. Why don't we do our final sponsor and let's talk about ongoing support after you send them away with whatever you've just done for them. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniGraffle. Use OmniGraffle to create beautiful graphics on your Mac, iPad, and iPhone. No matter how you pay for your shoes, you're going to have the occasional need to produce some graphics. In years past, that meant hiring a graphic designer or maybe going on some stock art sites and trying to find something that sort of fit but didn't really. That doesn't have to be you anymore. Using the Omni Group's OmniGraffle, you can create beautiful graphics yourself. People are using OmniGraffle to build website wireframes, design electrical systems, plan a family tree, or even just mapping out their software classes. The software is in use by artists, designers, and casual data mappers. Even a dumb podcaster and lawyer like me can make great graphics using OmniGraffle. One of the things I love about OmniGraffle is the way it combines complexity with simplicity. Even though there are tons of powerful tools in there, you don't need to access them all to get started, and as you do need them, they are immediately apparent to you. Quite often, I will sit in meetings and create OmniGraffles of relationships. Then when I later share it with the participants in the meeting, they can't believe I did it right in front of them. Virtually all of the graphics in the Max Sparky Field Guides were built using OmniGraffle. I love it because it's so easy to use and makes such a nice final product. OmniGraffle comes with tons of built-in graphics that you can use already. And even better, they've got this great website called Stenciltown. Stenciltown just got an update, by the way, and they've got amazing little packages of OmniGraffle graphics that people have created and put up that you can use. If you're designing an app or a website or your closet storage system, or you just want a cool hand-drawn looking triangle, they've got it there for you. I love that when I'm making a new graphic, I can go to Stenciltown and find something to inspire me or use in my project. If you're still using goofy graphics that you found somewhere on the internet or trying to draw something in preview, just stop that. Go check out OmniGraffle. Download it. There's a free trial. They've got versions for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. They're all fantastic. They all have access to Stenciltown. And while you're there, spend a few minutes watching the videos at the Omni Group website. It shows you exactly how to get started with the application. And before you know it, you too will be making beautiful graphic images. Thanks, Omni Group and OmniGraffle for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. So you've you've got the devices set up, um, but there's still probably going to be some issues that that you're going to have to deal with. Um, one of the things that we talked about initially, particularly with the Mac, not so much with iOS, um, is consider how you're going to deal with that follow up. And we talked about setting up a way to remotely access their system. And I would say consider this. One of the easiest ways that you can do this now is through iMessage. And I would say set up an iMessage account, set yourself up as a buddy, set yourself up as a friend um, and their contacts. And you can now and, and show them how to initiate or accept a screen sharing invitation in iMessage. 
Yeah, so easy. I, I, it used to be really difficult. You had to set up separate software. When they added this feature, it made my life so much easier for simple um, you know, troubleshooting and helping out friends with their Macs. Um, there's more complex solutions, though, if you want. Um, there's TeamViewer, which is one of the services. Yeah, we had a you know kind of a mixed reaction to this. Um, we had a lot of Mac Power users, listeners recommend TeamViewer. It's free for basic use. Um, people really like TeamViewer. It's fairly easy to set up. It's fairly comprehensive. However, we also had people note, and uh, as as we record this, I'll just tell you it's June 6th, um, that it lately there have been reports that it may have been hacked or compromised. And right now, TeamViewer is staying pretty tight-lipped about that. I would expect by the time that this episode comes out, there may be more information about whether that is true or what the response is. But I just put that asterisk there to to say it's typically a great program, but um, do a little research about that potential issue that's out there right now. Yeah, one of my favorite remote access apps is Screens. It's just a really nice looking, attractive application. They've got a version for the Mac and iOS. I use this app to remotely access my devices within my own little ecosystem. Uh, I don't use it with third parties. Uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, I don't do that much family support anymore. Most people have kind of got it figured out at this point. So when I do need it, iMessages is enough for me. Um, and then there's some web-based services. Join.me is made from the same people who make LogMeIn, which is a, a pay service that is, is probably more often used by businesses or or people with more regular support needs. But I've used uh, Join.me in cases, and it, you know, it's it's been pretty good. Then uh, you can also teach them to fish. This is really the best option. And I think regardless of what option you're going to do, um, you should do this as as well and in addition to. And this is basically give them the tools to help them help themselves. It's really easy these days. I, you know, there's, first of all, there's great services like Don McAllister's Screencast Online, which we've already mentioned, and lynda.com, which hey, by the way. Hey, did you know that Linda got a uh, Apple TV app? Yeah. It's I've been, great. I've I've spent some time this weekend watching some Linda videos, and it's it's pretty cool, um, in, including some uh, Sparks guy doing OmniFocus tutorial. Yeah, if all the Mac Power users listeners just watched the um, the OmniFocus videos I made for Linda, that wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. Yeah. Just saying, just put it on while you're vacuuming. Um, the uh, then you can also take classes at the local Apple store. I was just in an Apple store recently and I was watching the guy who was giving the class and he was super great. I mean, he was teaching people about photos and he really had all the answers and was helping people set up their libraries. And that's, you know, a resource. And I know, you know, it's busy in there, but you, there's some really smart people in there and that's a great place to go do some learning. There also may be local resources. Um, again, I'm a big fan of Mac user groups. I know they're kind of dying, um, and, and I, I really hate to see that. But I know that our local senior center also offers weekly classes um, on technology and specifically one on iOS. There's a volunteer teacher there who, who teaches weekly iOS classes about uh, iPhones and iPads, and I think even some Android stuff as well. So those are great resources. And there's Apple Care. You know, you can call somebody at Apple and get help with some of these problems. I've done it before when I've had some weird issue on a Mac. Um, so look in, so look into all those resources and and help enable whoever you're setting up to to kind of solve their own problems. Teach them about Google. I mean, one of the tips I gave a friend recently is whenever you get an error code, just Google the code exactly, you know, verbatim, and you'll probably find out what's going on. 
Right. And, and Google, uh, you know, Google is your friend. I, I will tell you candidly that I have seen many a tech support person and I have done it many times myself. Have a problem. I, I go to Google with it. Um, you know, we, we were having a, a very strange problem um, that I, I tell you, I was really disappointed. Um, my, my grandmother was having a problem with her AOL account. That was probably the problem right there. Um, sending email on her iPad. She could receive, but she couldn't send. So in my mind, that was clearly an SMTP issue. And they even spent an hour on the phone with Apple Care. And I just Googled the problem, cannot send mail from AOL. And, um, you know, and, and the, the specific error message that was coming up on the screen. And the very first link that I got was to an Apple discussion forums. And the it was it was marked solved by a guy who gave you the proper settings to go in and tweak. And it was an issue with, with the authentication. And he says, well, this is how you, this is how you change it. I was kind of disappointed that the Apple rep couldn't figure that out, couldn't do it. You know, it was the first hit on Google. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sometimes it's just better to solve it yourself. Yeah. But I'm a genius uh, for being able to figure it out. Well, there you go. Yeah. You are a genius. I think so. I have a shirt um, that says I am. We talked about, uh, getting people on passwords, um, some of the other stuff to talk about it, if they're relatively novice users. And this is a little bit of overlap with the locking down your, your technology episode, but uh, give them a little discussion about phishing scams because they're getting very sophisticated right. as of late. Well, and I think, you know, we're talking about, and it's, it's kind of a, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if it's a catch 22 or not, but we want to teach people to help them. You know, there's, you can say, well, don't touch your computer. If you have any problems, call me. But you really don't want them to do that. We want to teach them to help themselves. But you also want to be careful because sometimes when they go out looking for for help, they're they're going to find problems, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I think you need to teach them that as you're going out looking for help, as you're Googling or as you're trying to find help, these are things that you need to be very, very careful of. I don't know if you listened on one of the recent ATPs. You know, John Syracuse was talking about how his mom was had, you know, Googled and was looking for help. And had come across a tech support scam where someone uh, remote accessed into her computer and started downloading stuff. Yep. And it happens. So yeah, anytime you don't just don't give people remote access unless you know them. <laughs> I, th I think that's a pretty good rule. Um, anytime you're on the internet and something pops up and says, "Hey, we've scanned your computer and you need something to be fixed," please, you know, click this. Just run, run from that as far as you can. Right. And I think you talk generally about if you have to enter your password, you really need to think about what you're doing and why you're doing this um, to be very careful of free software and to be very cautious of tech support that they find online, particularly if someone wants to talk to you um, or connect to your computer, because these are very frequent vectors for phishing scams, or particularly if someone calls unsolicited saying, oh, we know you're having problems with your computer. You know, we can help you with that. It's sad, but true. So many bad people out there. Uh, I like the idea of a, of a visit checklist. If you're going to see grandma or a friend that you've helped set up a computer and you really want to take this seriously, um, what are the things you should be thinking about when you visit them to check in on their technology and hopefully have them cook food for you? <laughs> well, I, I kind of have a mental checklist of, of things that I do. And I think you have to be careful because if everything is running and it's the status quo, sometimes when you start hitting things on your checklist, you, you can cause trouble. And so remember, if you break it, you bought it. So you, yeah. you want to be careful not to change too much, but also keep them going. 
Um, I, I say on my visit checklist, a couple things that I do is number one, I, I, I do complete backups. I back up both their Mac and their iOS devices and I back them up to an alternate method. So if they're normally backed up by Time Machine, then maybe I'll do a clone backup. If they normally back up their iOS device via iCloud, I'll take this opportunity to plug it into their computer and do a, a, a backup to iTunes. Yeah. So that's my way of getting my my belt and suspenders. Uh, and that's if you do one thing, just make sure they're backing up. That It's so often that you'll set them up and for some reason they'll have hit the iOS out of storage message and turned it off or they've stopped plugging in the, the time machine drive to their computer or the time capsule is disconnected and not, they never bothered to reconnect it. Those types of things are a great thing to catch when you do a visit. The other thing I'm looking for is just general signs of hard hard drive or hardware failure. Um, I'll uh, repair the disc, um, maybe boot into recovery mode and see if the disc repairs, check the volume health, um, any signs that the hard, hard drive may be dying, um, run software updates. And then there are a couple of uh, general third-party utilities that that you can run some maintenance with. Um, one that I like is is Onyx. It is free. They also have a companion tool that's much more simplified called Maintenance that will do things like run your maintenance scripts, clean your caches, repair your permissions, and do those types of things. Um, I'm also a big fan of a tool like Clean My Mac. Now, full disclosure, they've been a sponsor before. But that type of tool can also do things like help you reclaim lost hard drive space, um, find files that may be out of dated, uh, and and because filling up hard drives is also a big problem if you're not yeah, monitoring that. In addition to backups, that's another good thing to check on when you're visiting someone to see how much extra space they have on their drive. And uh, I mean, it, so often, how many times has someone called you and said, oh, my computer is broken, it's not working, it's really slow, I don't know what's going on, and you look and their hard drive is in the red. They've, they're just maxed out on storage space. Yeah, that's huge. Um, also, run updates. This is a good chance. I know we said turn the automatic updates on. Check in on that if you're visiting somebody. Make sure they've got all the recent updates. I, uh, I, I'm guilty of this in my own household. I recently went into one of my daughter's computers to do a like a local clone drive, which I hadn't done for a while. And she was running an older version of the operating system. I was like, okay, Max Barkey, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, All right. it's a big topic. It is a big topic. But hopefully when you're traveling to visit your friends and family this summer or uh, as they get new hardware in this fall, um, you'll you'll kind of have another checklist and another tool set for, for helping them out with that. So. But I'm sure we missed a few things. We always do. But for that, there there is our uh, our feedback show, our monthly feedback show. And uh, uh, if we miss something, you can let us know about it. And just send us a um, audio comment or send us an email uh, at um, feedback at macpowerusers.com. You can also send us a tweet. We are at macpowerusers on Twitter. If you put in hashtag AskMPU, it goes into an automatic list. And we're very likely to get to that. Um, and you can find Katie and I on Twitter as well. Katie's at Katie Floyd and I am at Max Barkey. Thanks to our sponsors for this episode, FreshBooks, Automatic, Igloo, and Omni. And we will see you all next time.